global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet, the Dow, the S&P, and NASDAQ all moving higher right now. The S&P 500 index up three points to 2102. That is a gain of two-tenths of one percent. We are brought to you by Vanek Vectors ETFs. Expect more from your munis. Target tax-exempt income by maturity and credit quality, all with low-cost ETFs. Visit vanek.com slash muni. Vanek, access the opportunities. The S&P up three now to 2102, a gain there of 0.1%. Dow Industrials up 21, also a gain of 0.1%. NASDAQ up 10, a gain of 0.2%. The 10-year up 9.30 seconds, yield 1.80%. Gold down a dollar forty the ounce to twelve thirteen, a drop of point one percent, and crude oil little change down one cent now, forty nine dollars a barrel. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Charlie Pellet, thank you so very much. Now we're going to dive into our daily ETF report brought to you by Vanek Vectors ETFs. Expect more from your munis, target taxes, and income by maturity and credit quality, all with low cost ETFs. Visit vanek.com slash muni. Vanek. Access the opportunities. For this, we turn to our own Catherine Cowdery. There are three single-country ETFs that are outperforming the broader market, up as much as 45% so far this year. Here's Bloomberg Intelligence Analyst Eric Beltunis. Peru is on fire. It's up 45% this year because of gold. So believe it or not, Peru is the like 45th country in terms of GDP, but it's in the top five in gold and silver mining. So it's been helped you know, drastically by the uptick in gold and silver. And the thing with Peru is it's an emerging market, but it's so such a small country. It's really not represented in the big EM in indices or ETFs. As the iShares MSCI All Peru Capped ETF has outperformed the broader market, it's attracted assets and now has $211 million. Beltunas has some other examples of single-country ETFs that are rallying this year. The Global X MSCI Greece ETF is up 5.6%, and the Global X MSCI Pakistan ETF has gained 10%. That's your Bloomberg ETF report. I'm Catherine Cowdery. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Taking stock of some global macro moves, we're going to start with the Eurozone, where the ECB's Governing Council left monetary conditions in the asset purchase program unchanged. Uh, but it led a lot of people to wonder uh, on Mario Draghi's, the head of the ECB, insistence that his stimulus program is home only half done, but also... Uh, what if its best effects are already spent, and why doesn't he get off the dime and move to do more? That brings us to my next guest. Carl Weinberg is uh, founder and head of High Frequency Economics, and he joins us now. So, Carl, uh, your point is that uh, Mario Draghi is not doing as much as he could, correct? Well, first, hi, Kathleen. Good to be on the program. Uh, I think what he's doing is not working, and it's not being transmitted to the economy. So he can do as much as he wants, but he's not going to achieve his goal of getting inflation back to his desired rate of being just under 2% uh, or thereabouts. 
What's wrong? Why is it not working? What should he do? Well, it's not working because uh, banks aren't lending, and banks aren't lending because they're facing constantly rising capital requirements under the new and ever-changing regulatory environment they're operating in. So banks effectively remain undercapitalized all the time. They're not in a position to increase their assets at risk if their ratio of capital to assets at risk is too low, and they're having trouble raising capital. I think also, Kathleen, it's just worth noting that it's not just me who's skeptical about what's going on. If you look carefully at the forecasts from the ECB staff today, uh, they published a new round of forecasts, and those numbers, the only difference between them and the previous edition published in March is that in March they didn't include the increase in, in economic stimulus that was announced then, and these forecasts include that increase in quantitative easing. And you know what? The two forecasts are functionally the same. Even the ECB staff says, that amping up the size of the program and moving interest rates even more negative won't make the economy grow faster or get inflation closer to the desired rate. So when they stop, start buying some more corporate bonds, that's going to be good for whoever sells them maybe, but not so good for the economy and the people of Europe who need this boost. Well, you know, if you ask me, and nobody ever did, of course, but if you ask me, this buying of corporate bonds really moves the ECB into dangerous territory in a number of regards. I mean, when they buy and sell sovereign bonds, they're affecting the entire uh, uh, lending structure of interest rates up and down across the board. But when they buy and sell corporate bonds, they're only affecting the spread between risky assets and safe assets. And now they're managing the price of risk, and that's a very, very dangerous proposition. They also open themselves up to, I think, some potential risk as to how they do it. I mean, whose corporate bonds are they going to buy? If there are two competitors in an industry and they buy the bonds of one and not the other, or buy them in differential sizes by whatever metric, then the one that's bought to the lesser extent can claim that they're being discriminated against by the ECB. And boy, does that open up a Pandora's box of trouble. So where is this going, Carl? What's going to happen? Uh, is, is the, the economy is so, to me, very mixed in Europe. I know Germany's doing better, but some countries are not doing as well. Spain's doing better. Uh, is there a risk of a backsliding into recession? Is it just going to be sort of flat where it is because this is going to mean a lot for where those European bond yields go, where the equity markets, and certainly where the currency rates go? Well, you know, Kathleen, they're all flat, including Germany. And while everybody was, was, was awed by Tuesday's employment report for Germany, you know, for every German that was taken out of unemployment by the growth of the economy, there were five immigrants who got jobs. All right, they're hiring low-wage workers at subsistence wages who would rather come to Germany and work than be unemployed. They're not taking Germany's, Germans out of unemployment. Three of the last four retail sales reports, which, by the way, were also reported on Tuesday, were down. And four of the last five industrial production reports have been contractions, and we'll get another industrial production report next week. So the whole Euroland economy is flat, and the reason it's flat is there's no credit. And the reason there's no credit, it's not the ECB's fault. It's Well, it's not the, the fault of ECB monetary policy. It's the fault of being uh, unwilling to fix the banking system properly, to recapitalize it as we did in the United States with our TARP, uh, and let the banking system get on with this business from a newly rejuvenated capital base. Well, I'm glad you say that the economy is not that impressive to you because I look at these numbers too and I keep saying when I read some of the, the things I read like where does everybody see all this strength? But anyway, let's talk about Japan because another big, big story this week is uh, Prime Minister Abe 
announcing the delay of the increase in the national sales tax rate that uh, would have taken effect next spring. Of course, you and I, Carl, we remember 1986 when they raised it and helped cause a recession. A couple years ago, the same thing. So he seems to have made the right decision, but there's a lot of politics involved here. There's a lot of politics involved. There are uh, national elections for the upper house of the Diet coming in July, and clearly one way for the LDP to get votes is to postpone a tax hike that they themselves have threatened to impose. And I think that that's part of what's going on. I think overall they're very disappointed in their economy, which suffers from dual problems. The first problem is a cyclical downturn in the economy. Inventories relative to sales are the highest they've been any time in the post-war period other than during the 2008 financial crash and the 2011 earthquake crash. High inventories are a clear warning signal that the economy is headed into a recession. And then that recession comes along a declining secular trend. They're depopulating. And as the population shrinks because baby boomers age and now start to die off, then GDP has to go down. And he can't reverse that secular trend. He can combat the inventory cycle a little bit, but his really, Japan's outlook is really doomed by its demographics and by its overhanging debt burden. Well, you've said for a long time they had to restructure that debt to move ahead. Is that still your view? Well, they're going to have to restructure their debt, whether they like it or not. Uh, at the end of the day, a shrinking population with a still rising debt burden, now rising even faster because of the sales tax deferment, all right, is going to lead to decreasing levels of income per capita for a shrinking number of people, and they're just going to have to give up more and more of their income to service the debt until something breaks, and that time is probably within sight, although not necessarily imminent. Carl, let's take a quick look at the U.K. because uh, the pound's been trying to rally, having a tough time. Once again, polls are showing that the vote for the Leave camp is pulling ahead of the Remain side when it comes to the U.K. leaving the Eurozone. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, the Brexit is kind of a wild card in all of this. However the vote turns out, the U.K., I think, is going to suffer some retribution from Europe. You know, should London and the rebellious island be the financial capital for the uh, continental uh, financial affairs? I think we'll see a move to push Paris and Frankfurt as the new financial center of Europe to the detriment of the city. And there'll probably be trade and other kinds of political pushbacks as well. But the U.K. economy is also hurting because of the drop in global commodity prices. All those petrodollars and commodity dollars that came into London that built the tall towers, that bought the, the, the townhomes in Belgravia, that spend all the money on high streets, you know, all that investment and consumer money that comes from the Middle East and the emerging world has been cut by two-thirds by this drop in commodity prices. And that's leading to a slowdown. We see it in the construction index, which was just updated today. And certainly industrial production is failing as well. So the U.K. is headed into economic trouble without regard to what it does on Brexit, and the Brexit just modulates that trouble. I'll also add, Kathleen, for Sterling, that their current account deficit is the largest it's ever been as a share of GDP, almost 6%, and that's not good either. That's a big risk to Sterling. Taking us around the world, a nice macro view of the ECB. Carl Weinberg is convinced that uh, whatever they do, until they fix their bad banks, the economy is not going to grow. And if anything, the danger of a downturn persists. Carl, of course, is chief economist and founder of High Frequency Economics. This is Bloomberg Radio.